This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Big day of free agency, the first day of free agency. We're here to break it all down at Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Rost, Jake Heaps. Curtis Rogers is not here tonight, but he will be tomorrow. Yes. You and Curtis have a lot of UW hoops to talk about. Ah, we'll, we'll see what it comes. I mean, uh, so far, free agency has been hot. That's the thing. I don't know. I, it, we'll see if we can even get to it. I know. What if we have more moves? We're still waiting on a couple, right? We're waiting to hear about KJ Wright, DJ Fluker. Yep. Uh, still a couple other, uh, Nico Thorpe. So, yeah, you guys might have some more stuff to break down even then. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see. I mean, there's there's been a couple... Surprise signings that I didn't expect to see from the Seahawks, and and then uh, we'll see if they're again getting active tomorrow, and then and uh, see if they pick off a couple you know key value guys mm-hmm. here or there. I mean, it's it's really been fun just to kind of sit back on the on the Twitter feed on the timeline and just kind of scroll through everything. Uh, you never know what you're going to see next. I thought it was crazy yesterday and today during the legal tampering period, and I was like, what's I mean, what else could happen? And then even then, it's like. The Earl Thomas news happens. I just couldn't leave TweetDeck. I couldn't leave Twitter alone. (laughs) But that's what we're going to get into right now with what's on the timeline. All right. We're going to take a look at the biggest stories from today. First up, pretty obvious. Earl Thomas signs a four-year, $55 million deal with the Baltimore Ravens. Thomas has $32 million fully guaranteed with $22 million in the first nine months of the deal. Uh, so he reportedly wanted at least a two-year contract worth $14 million per year. He ended up getting slightly less per year, but a longer-term deal. Uh, so this broke earlier today. Yeah. I think everyone kind of thought Thomas was out the door. I know yesterday uh, Danny David Moore had Will Blackman on from NFL Network, a former Seahawk himself. He said he had heard some rumblings that Earl Thomas might be entertaining an idea of returning back to the Seahawks. Yeah. But alas... Did not happen. He is a Baltimore Raven. Yeah, I don't know, Will Blackman. I don't know what sources you were going from, uh, but I, I think that that relationship was pretty severed. You know, the moment, the way it ended, uh, I, I think it was a clear separation. Earl wanted out. I think the Seahawks were ready to move on. And quite frankly, Earl wanted more money than the Seahawks were willing to pay. So the, the thing that I w- was surprised about was not necessarily the dollar amount in terms of per year. It ends up coming to be around 13.5. Yeah, it makes like him that. like, uh, I think, third in just kind of average contract value behind okay. uh, Tyron Matthew and Landon Collins. Maybe. Okay, gotcha. And then uh, I think behind, second only to Landon Collins and something else. Okay. I can't remember what yeah, it is. Yeah, see, to me, the biggest surprise was the fact that he got a four-year deal out of it and uh, guaranteed money. Uh, he got $32 million guaranteed, 22 guaranteed in the first nine months. I mean, that's pretty incredible, and that's something that I don't even know if Earl expected to get himself. Uh, and so it's a big win for him. It's obviously we knew it was coming, but it's still sad, and it, and it brings back a lot of a lot of memories, and it's going to be hard to see Earl in another jersey other than in the Seahawks uniform. I I personally, and I'm trying not to be biased, right? You try to be just an objective observer yeah. when you're covering a team. Um, but I'm kind of relieved to see he didn't end up in the division. It's just such a messy no thing kidding. to cover, right? I think this is just such it, – it is an interesting team. And, and I don't mind watching the Ravens. I think I think they're yeah. interesting. I like Lamar Jackson. Uh, their defense had lots of 
really bright moments last season. Yeah. And I wonder if for them, they have a lot of these young guys. And maybe my early theory is maybe they felt like they wanted to bring in a guy that could help them mold that culture for their young defense. They've already got a young quarterback, and, and I think they're they're making a run. Yeah, they, they essentially swapped Earl Thomas with uh, Eric Weddle. Right. And Weddle was an incredible leader, a great locker room guy that had a, a big imprint on that team. But what you've swapped him out with is a guy in Earl Thomas that we all know is going to show up every day, work his tail off, and he's going to fly around, make a bunch of plays, and, and have a big impact. So, to me, I think they upgraded on the field. And in the practice field, they've just gotten that much more intense. So, uh, hats off. I'm happy for Earl Thomas. And uh, it, I'm just, again, to go off your point, I am very glad to see him in the AFC, not in the NFC, and definitely not in our division. Got to agree with that. And we're going to break this down a bit more in our next segment at 715. But let's continue on this timeline right now because the Seahawks made a move. What? They did. Yep, you heard that right. Okay. They made a move. The Seahawks sign a free agent kicker, and fans should recognize the name, but is it a good thing? Mm. So the Seahawks signed former Jets kicker Jason Myers to a four-year deal. Uh, Myers coincidentally spent last summer with the Seahawks battling Sebastian Janikowski. You guys may have heard of him for a spot on Seattle's roster. ESPN's Diana Rossini says Myers' deal is worth an estimated 15 to 16 million. Again, this is just rumored. We don't have any numbers, uh, and that comes out to be about three and a half million a year. Uh, so, just as a quick reminder, Myers uh, was signed by Seattle to a futures contract last January. Yep. Uh, after their first season not making the playoffs, just as a street free agent, he had been waived uh, by Jacksonville that October or something like that. Yes. Uh, came in, didn't end up e- beating Janikowski signed with the Jets, and then became a pro bowler. <laughs> what did you make of this? I, I I think it's pretty funny when you look back at it. It's frustrating, but it's pretty funny because uh, I, I think Sebastian Janikowski, he had good moments for us, and then he had some low moments for us. And this has been a revolving door since we let since we let Hauschka walk out the door. Mm-hmm. We have not been able to solidify this position, nope. and we've actually been snake-bitten uh, by this position multiple games. So uh, you have the guy that was right there on a futures contract that would have been a pretty cheap, easy deal. You could have had a pro bowler it, for Exactly. He would have been minimum. playing on a pro bowl level, and maybe you get him back on an even cheaper deal when you re-sign him. But, uh, hey, look, however we got him, I'm, I'm happy to have that type of stability and hopefully that he can continue that success. I know early years with uh, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville, he was around 80 80 plus percent yeah. uh, and really stepped it up with the Jets at around 92 percent. So let's hope that he can keep playing at that high Pro Bowl level when he's here in Seattle. And maybe it just took him a while to get there. When he came over from Jacksonville, he was still a young guy. Yeah, I think he's still a young guy now. Probably what, 26, 27? Yeah, yeah still early in his career. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that one will be interesting. But we've got a couple other big moves around the NFL on the first day of free agency. The Ravens snagged former Saints running back Mark Ingram. They're making a lot of moves too. Great day move. two, the Ravens. Great yeah. move. Chargers signed ex-Browns quarterback Tyrod Taylor to back up Phillip Rivers. Uh, do you remember when we learned that we've all been saying Tyrod Taylor the wrong way? <laughs> yeah, that was shocking. It's Tyrod to me. Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. Who knew? I, I still, I still will call him Tyrod Taylor. Right. I felt so. It's like yesterday or the other day when I was telling you that my barista calls me Tracy, and I've never corrected her to this day because yes. it's weird now. Right now, now I'm weird. I've established my name is Tracy. I do. I am going to call him Tyrod Taylor out of respect, but I'm going to just really? acknowledge that he was 
He was pulling a Stacy move there. Yeah, he and was. It, maybe we just should have. Yeah, I should have left it. Yeah, I think he should have left it because it sounds a lot better, by the way. I know. Uh, so this one was actually from yesterday, but Le'Veon Bell signs with the Jets. That finally happened. Yeah, and he dropped an album, right? He dropped a mixtape. What? Yeah, you didn't hear no, about this? No, I didn't. Yes, he dropped a mixtape at what? like. Like midnight or something like that. Did you yeah. listen to it? I did not. I there, was busy waiting for. There were so like many. You. There were so many people that were uh, waiting up at night trying to listen to this mixtape and wait for it to drop. And I don't know what the reviews are on it, but not only did he make a splash signing with the Jets, but he came out with his own mixtape. You haven't listened. Yet. I haven't listened. Are you, can you give it a review during I, I, tomorrow? Sure, sure. Listen uh, to tomorrow, it overnight. Go home. You and the fam. I'll give you a review. Give uh, it a quick Maybe listen. I can't listen to the fam. I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably have to listen to it by myself. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> We've got some other things here. Oh, a big one that we'll get into later, uh, and I can't believe I forgot it until right now, is the Chiefs release Eric Berry. Yeah. Uh, so safety Eric Berry had uh, about seven and a half or so million of his salary, uh, salary would have become fully guaranteed Friday. Okay. So I don't know that this was – I was surprised by it personally. Right. But upon reading a bit more from the beat reporters that are working over there in Kansas City, it doesn't sound like this is too shocking to them. Yeah, I, I think it's more along the lines of an Earl Thomas situation. A phenomenal player mm-hmm. who his talent is undeniable, right? And what he can provide to a team is absolutely there. It's a matter of health. It's a matter of how can he can he sustain his health through a season, and that's the big question mark with Eric Berry. Yeah, that was a bad. Was it an Achilles last year? Yeah, he had a really hard time staying on the field. It's such a shame. But it's I'll be curious to see where he lands, and I have a question about where he lands later when we get into four downs at the end of this uh, right. hour. Can't wait. All right. Well, that's the timeline. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night. Coming up next. Me and Jake are going to talk about Earl Thomas's legacy in Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports at Night, 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Stacy Rost. I'm here with Jake Heaps. No Curtis Rogers tonight. Nope. He'll be joining us tomorrow. Well, joining you. Yes, not joining me. me. I will be gone. Catching up on all the reality TV shows I've been missing for three nights <laughs> while I do this you, show. You still haven't watched The Bachelor? I watched the finale part one. Okay. <clears throat> I already know all the spoilers. I know the new Bachelorette. I know uh, what happens with Colton, who he chooses, how it all goes down. But I haven't seen the cringeworthy moments unfold yet. Okay, gotcha. And that's what I live for. Yeah. I live for watching other people in awkward moments. I caught like the second half of, this, of part two. Okay. So I wasn't there for the first half, but You've I caught the, the second half. matters. Yes, yes, yes. I think you'll be happy with the way it ends. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, now I'm looking forward to it. We will see. Speaking of things ending, <laughs> that wasn't bad. It was okay. There you go. Okay. Uh, Earl Thomas's career with Seattle has, unfortunately, come to an end today, signing a four-year deal with the Baltimore Ravens that'll pay him $55 million dollars making him, again, one of the highest-paid safeties in the league. Um, which brings us to the question about how we remember Earl Thomas's legacy in Seattle. Yeah. The reason I want to talk about it is specifically how that legacy ended. Earl Thomas was one of the most celebrated Seahawks for the nine years that he was here. Eight seasons. Nine years. Nine years, yeah. Nine years. Um So what I want to know is, will he be remembered for his final season and the rocky way the relationship ended after a months-long holdout, the broken leg on the field, 
and uh, not-so-great hand gesture towards the sideline as he was being carted off? <laughs> or will he be remembered for what he did in the years prior to that? Uh, to me, when I think of Earl Thomas, I don't think of the end. I legitimately think the first thing that comes to mind is one of the best safeties to ever play the game. And the way he was able to play it, the so the unbelievable things he was able to do um, from running sideline to sideline, uh, being a free safety that could also come up, come up and make it, make the tackle and and be an enforcer, um, and was probably the most feared safety for you know his entire career so mm-hmm. far, and especially in the first seven seasons of his career. You know, after you know, I say seven because after that, now you kind of go through. Um, some years where he's dealing with injury. Dealt with a broken leg, dealt yeah. with being out for uh, two games. That was the Seahawks' first view of Bradley McDougald as a starter, actually, was when he came in for Thomas. Correct. So so there were some health scares at the end of, of his career in Seattle, but like you said, until then, a pretty illustrious career. Yes, and, and you know, he they put so much responsibility on Earl to be that single safety deep in in that in the middle of the field, having the responsibility to run sideline to sideline to cover up the mistakes that yeah. would happen for uh, Richard Sherman, uh, Brandon Browner, you know, Cam Chancellor, these linebackers, and he covered it all. He mm-hmm. did things that no safety uh, typically is able to do, um, and so Earl is going to go down as a Hall of Famer. He's going to go down as one of the best to ever do it. And we got the the absolute best years out of Earl Thomas, and that's that's what my mind will go to, and the incredible uh, practice player that he was as well. Getting to see that live and in person was probably one of the coolest things of my career. Was he just as intense on the practice field? Uh, absolutely. I like I I imagine that. Like I think I. Uh... Practices for media during the season are, Mm -hmm. we don't get to see that, we just see portions of it. During training camp, when it was like 95 degrees outside, Mm -hmm. he was still pretty intense. So I imagine that in just a team practice, when sometimes you're just doing a walkthrough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had, so it's funny because I had two different experiences. Uh, When I had come into the National Football League as a rookie, I was with the New York Jets and I got the chance to be around Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie and... Michael Gilchrist and some of these guys who had had a lot of success and Darrell Rivas still at the time being considered one of the best to ever do it in terms of the cornerback position. And their approach could not have been more different than really? the Seattle approach. Absolutely. It was a their biz- approach to practice. Their approach or, okay. their approach to practice, yeah, I should clarify that. Approach to practice was extremely different. It was a business. It was, you know, uh Darrell would just be totally coasting it. And he would be there when the when the ball was caught or he would be somewhere in the area and he just, you know, if, if a receiver caught the ball, he'd be like, oh, well, in a game I'm going to be there. Yeah, it's, you know, hey, I, I knew it was coming. Like he would always have some sort of answer. But when I got in, so I thought, okay, well, that's probably how it's done in the NFL. Everybody's just kind of looking at, out for themselves as an individual trying to stay healthy. And then I got to Seattle and I got to be around Earl and Sherm and Cam and these guys were flying around don't turn off every single practice every individual one-on-ones it didn't matter mm-hmm. uh and Earl was really the spearhead of all of that Sherm was the loud mouth talker competitive as all get out um Cam was the stabilizing force and Earl was the example 
Earl was the guy that every single day was flying around as intense, and there were plenty of stories that I heard of Earl in walkthroughs at different points in time going full out and actually laying guys out uh, in, in walkthrough, and they had to you know, try and tell Earl to calm down, and it just never clicked for him. He was always full go all the time, always intense, and he just loves the game. And anytime you wanted to approach him, even me as a guy that was trying to crack the roster, if I had any questions for him about the game, he was all in. He loved ball. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when I think of him from from a reporter's perspective, it is as a guy like that, that when you were talking to him, you could just sense that intensity level no matter what. And I think despite some of the anger that I saw from some fans with the way that he ended things with the team, I think a part of me is going to turn back to that last game he had in Seattle, specifically this moment. Dak Prescott again, back in the shotgun. Elliott beside it, first and ten. Stops, looks to the end zone, fires down the middle, ball tipped up, ball tipped up, ball is intercepted by the Seahawks. Is it not? No. Yes. No. Show me, Mr. Official. Yes. Earl Thomas. A flag is down. Two flags are down. Nobody cares right now as the Seahawks may have snuffed out the last drive of these Dallas Cowboys. That ball was tipped up in the air, bounced around, and number 29 picks it off. So this is Earl Thomas's last ever interception as a Seahawk. It was in week three, a game against the Dallas Cowboys. He intercepted a pass from Dak Prescott. It was intended for Blake Jarwin. Uh, and this was with just over three minutes remaining in the game. Pretty yeah. much sealed the win for uh, Seattle. This might have been the one where when he caught it, he did the bow in front of the Dallas bench. It was, yes. either, it was either this one or the one before, and I'm pretty sure it was this one because it, uh, it was his second pick. So I think it was like a, hey, yeah. you could have had me, or if you still want me, I'm still here. Um, after this game was, I think, one of the most excited versions of Earl Thomas I'd seen in a locker room. Um, and he even said in the locker room that he can't remember the last time uh, they'd had that many interceptions. And don't forget, by this time in the season, we're in week three. Seattle's lost two games. This was their first win. But Bradley McDougald had already had two interceptions. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, I think, had to, did he have two in a single game against Chicago? He did, yeah. Yeah, so so the secondary right now, uh, outside of Earl, mostly young guys, new guys, and they're on a roll. Um, and he was talking about this, how excited he was to see that young group stepping up. Uh, there's audio of him being so happy, and he just says, all I know is my foot hurts, but other than that, I'm good. Um, <laughs> and it's just it's insane to think that the following week is when he – suffers that broken leg against Arizona on the road, right. carted off the field, and we all know how that went. So I think when I think of this moment, I think this is the Earl Thomas that Seattle usually sees. Yes, he's a unique guy. No one's going to deny that. He's a guy that they there certainly was, you know, were some obstacles they were working out. They were doing this holdout. This is, it's a business. Like This isn't, I think fans want to think everyone's best friends and everyone gets along and it's perfect all the time and it's yeah. not. These are their employees, their bosses. There's really messy stuff to work out. Uh, and I think with Earl Thomas, you can't have that level of passion for the game and not get fired up in a moment. For He's sure. He's a guy who's turning 30 years old. He's got two kids now. He's just suffered his second broken leg in as many years. You're going to have a moment of feeling like, what have I been giving for almost a decade, and what have I gotten? So 
I think if I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm looking back and I'm thinking about a really interesting time in Seattle sports, truly a unique time in Seattle sports. And does the end of it kind of shade my perception of of the overall tenure that Pete Carroll has had? Maybe yeah. a little bit. Um, but I think that Earl's career here and his departure isn't like that of Cam Chancellor or Richard, or Richard Sherman, which are which are different from each other too. I think they all had yeah. very different departures. Yes, they did, and that's it's going to make in a phenomenal thirty for thirty one day, and to to dive into how all this unfolded and how uh, it all deteriorated from the ups and the downs. Uh, each one had their unique departure. Um, but they all were able to contribute in a huge way, and Earl was the first. He was the first of the Legion of Boom. He was the first uh, to take Seattle in a whole new direction, and he was a stabilizing force for that defense that played at such a high level. And and so I will be forever grateful for those amazing moments for Earl and the way it exited, the way it finished is something that uh, I will absolutely remember. You cannot, you cannot get that image out of out of your head of Earl's gesture to the sideline as he was being carted off in a boot. That's something that lasts forever, and it's unfortunate because, uh, to me, I think of this situation way more good than bad. All right, coming up next, speaking of that Legion of Boom, we're going to get into kind of what comes next. Now that the Legion of Boom is officially dismantled, which group can step forward as the front-facing identity of the Seahawks. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. Excuse me, when the last time you changed your, your password to email? Why? I think it's time for you to change it. Yeah. Just a safety tip. Watch your step, look both ways, and change your passwords. It looks like you're really on your safety. Yeah. That's encouraging. I'm going to give uh, free safety advice. I'm Earl Thomas of the Seattle Seahawks. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports at Night. Don't forget, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. You can check us out on 710sports.com on the podcast page. We're also on iTunes. Give us five stars. All your stars coming up. It's four down territory. That's in 15 minutes at 745 when I'm going to ask Jake Heaps, also here tonight, four questions. They're all going to be probably free agency related today. Pretty busy day. (laughs) It's a good chance. There's a good chance. But right now, uh, we're sticking with some Seahawks talk. So what I want to know is we've talked about Earl Thomas's legacy in Seattle. Yeah. I think at large, we've talked quite a bit about the Legion of Boom that legacy, and, and everyone's kind of seen that coming to an end for a while. Earl Thomas's official departure kind of brings a formal end to that, but right. uh, he really went out in week four of last year, and since then it's been a pretty new group. I I don't know that the secondary is replacing that old secondary and becoming this front-facing identity, but maybe that's the debate we have now, because what I want to know is... Now that the Legion of Boom is gone, what's this group that Seattle leans on? Are they offensive-minded? Is it the running game? Is it is it the secondary, another promising young group in the secondary? What do they turn to now? I think it's pretty clear that at this point right now, when you look at this team and how it's built, 
I think that uh, you could immediately go to, well, hey, they reestablished their off- their offensive identity. It's the run game. Uh, the only problem with that is is that they let J.R. Sweezy go, and he, they left in free agency, goes to your division rival mm-hmm. in the Cardinals. You don't know what's going to happen with D.J. Fluker. Shout out D.J. Fluker. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Uh, and, and so, to me, that leaves in question, if you lose both of those guys, who are you replacing them with? And can you reestablish that same running game that you were so committed to last year? Uh, so really, I, I think if you're going to point as anybody as the front-facing person or player or unit in this on this mm-hmm. team, it's Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. That's it. Uh, Frank Clark, you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Uh, Jaron Reed, I, I think, is a stabilizing force, but I don't think that's the guy that comes to the forefront. Uh, when you think of this Seahawks unit as well, of right now. his final year of his deal. Correct. So far, no move to extend him there. Yep. And so, to me, you're you're basically building around two um, keystones of your franchise on both sides of the ball. It's Russell Wilson mm-hmm. and it's Bobby Wagner. And when you think about it from that sense, it's very interesting and it'll be fascinating to watch how this team uh, decides to build around those two guys because, th- to me, there's no way that you let Russell Wilson walk, and there's no way you let Bobby Wagner walk. Yep. Uh, you tried to trade them, you tried to, you know, whatever it is. I don't see that happening. I see both of them being extended, and and we talked about it. Is okay. Well, if you extend Bobby, you extend Russell. That's a huge part of your cap, right? Right. We haven't even talked about Jaron Reed and Frank Clark yet. Right. No. So there's there's uh, there's only so many moves that you can make at that point. I don't think it completely uh, debilitates them from being able to put together a strong roster. But you absolutely have to be smart and crafty and hit in the draft to make it all work. And and so to me, it's it's to build around those two guys Mm -hmm. on this franchise to help them be at their best. And if they're at their best, they can get you to the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the departure of the official departure of Earl Thomas and really just the end of last season, the beginning of of this year in particular, has made me look back and and truly recognize the depth that Seattle was working with during those seasons. It's unreal. I think what a lot of Seahawks fans are seeing now is this is really more of the league average of teams that are contenders, but who aren't guaranteed to go deep at all in the yeah. playoffs. They really got to work for it. And you're looking at teams like uh, like Green Bay. They've always had a top-tier quarterback in Aaron Rodgers and before that in Brett Favre. They've always had a great defender, someone like Clay Matthews, who's no longer with the team. Right, right? he's a free agent He's right a free now. agent right now. But <clears throat> these are teams that Atlanta is another great example. You have one, two, maybe three superstars, but you don't really have superstar units. When that comes along is when you have a historically good unit like the Seahawks had, like the Chicago Bears had, like the Steelers have had, like the Vikings have had um, at different points in time. Because it's really not common to be able to, A, find all those guys in one, two, three years apart where they, they would all be on the same kind of contract route. Yeah. Uh, and B, to be able to extend all of them and still afford uh, a functioning <laughs> offense. Yeah, it, it was amazing to be able to see how the Seahawks were able to do that uh, with all with that nucleus yeah. that they were able to do from contract one to contract two. 
then it kind of went downhill on contract three, right, mm-hmm. with that core group of guys. And and so they have to reestablish that and develop that new crop of, of, of Seahawks that can then uh, take this uh, team and make it their own. And you've been able to see that with the best team in the National Football League and the New England Patriots year in and year out. They've been able to let guys go that were top-of-the-market type of players, elite players that they groomed, uh, and were able to replace them with new, fresh faces and continue to just cycle after cycle, continue to keep this thing rolling. And they always had Bill Belichick, and they always had Tom Brady mm-hmm. to keep everything on on board. And and so that's the way I look at this, is that you're going to have, hopefully, Pete Carroll for, for a while. You're going to have Russell Wilson for a while, and you're going to have Bobby Wagner. And everything else, you have to be, be able to manipulate your roster in a way that allows you to play your scheme, the style that you want, and be able to maximize the talent so that you can put the best out there. And right now, on this roster, especially defensively, it leaves me very nervous, Stacey. It does. I, again, we went through this rebuilding, retooling process, but we're not done. Like, this isn't done. We haven't just all of a sudden just, you know, last year we were climbing the mountain, we got close to the top, and it's downhill from here. We haven't got there yet. Uh, this isn't something where we just need to add a key piece here and there. No, this is still a roster that we are trying to rebuild and retool to get us back to that, um, back to the playoffs and be a legitimate contender. How confident are you about the Seahawks secondary right now? Because I can think of individual players that I was impressed with. I was really impressed with Trey Flowers. Yeah, um, he was he was really kind of that top player in that group at attacking the ball being really physical part of that's that safety background um never quite got an interception but it felt like he was just inching closer and closer as the year progressed yes Shaquille Griffin got a little bit of flack it didn't help that his his final game was was one of his worst last season but he he still was a really promising pick for them and, and had some moments where he shined last season uh Bradley McDougald obviously uh their strongest player back there but how do you feel about the group do you feel like you know what they can they have <clears throat> uh the tools and the young players there and they've got Pete Carroll who's great at molding defensive backs and they can take a step forward or do you feel like you know what this is a team that's going to have to find their strength elsewhere I I this is where you have to put the faith in John and Pete to to trust them that they know what they're doing uh not only from a personnel standpoint but also in a developmental standpoint and I think if there's one thing that over time Pete Carroll has shown that he can do on a consistent basis is develop. And so when you ask me right now where I think the secondary is, to me it's very scary. I think that there's some promising players in there. Trey Flowers, you named, uh, have extremely high hopes for him. Mm-hmm. Shaq Griffin, I think he can recapture his rookie year and continue to get better, but last year he definitely took a step back, which is concerning. Uh, you have Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson, who I think are good players, but haven't quite made that jump yet, and they're still young in their career, and, and a lot can happen. Uh, so there's a lot of unknowns to me than there is knowns, which is never, in my opinion, a good thing. But that's where I have to put faith in Pete Carroll saying, hey, this is one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in this game, collegially and in the NFL. And I think that he has a unique ability to get the best out of that young talent. So that's what you're ultimately hoping for. No, I I totally agree, and I I agree with your earlier point that if you're going to be this running team, you've got to 
find a way, right? Because it's one thing. We know their identity. Their identity is they want to be a strong running team. They want to be great uh, on special teams, and they want to have a hard-hitting, fast defense. Um, But it's one thing to have that as your identity and another thing to have that be what people recognize you as, what people fear, what they watch out for, what they game plan for. Correct. So it'll be interesting to see whether – their performance on the field, whether those units, whether their running back unit and their offensive line can catch up to to what they want. Yeah, that the you know the last thing is going back to that run game. They were able to establish themselves as the number one rushing offense in the National Football League, and it got to the point where they actually were very much feared when they went into these games. And you didn't feel that way about the Seahawks unit. Until, uh, the last time you felt that was when Marshawn Lynch was on this roster. Mm-hmm. And and then you kind of recaptured that. And with the way that this is going right now, if DJ Fluker is above market value more than what they want, they're not going to go chase him. They're not going to try and match him. I don't think they're desperate uh, in their mind to go get to re-sign a J.R. Sweezy or a DJ Fluker. They're more looking for value. And I understand that. It, but it scares me because if you're not trying to re-sign those guys that brought this nasty attitude uh, to the offensive line, I think you're putting, again, too much value in coaching. You're only as good as the players that you have as a coach. And sometimes we can get caught up in, like we did with Tom Cable, is he is one of the greatest offensive line coaches out there in the National Football League. And you started tweaking and you started trying to get guys that— Getting cute. Yeah, get cute. cute. You got cute. You got cute. Absolutely, Stacey. You got cute with oh, we can we can turn a defensive lineman right. into a guard, and we can you know we can take these uh, below average players, and Tom's just going to make them great. And are we putting again too much stock in Mike Solari? He's a great coach, mm-hmm. but are we putting too much stock in saying oh, we can get these value guys instead of saying you know what, Jerry Sweezy, DJ Fluker. They made a huge difference for us, and they are worth that investment to continue to keep pounding the rock and keep uh, our identity and build off of that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch for sure. The Seahawks did make another move today. Uh, they reportedly re-signed linebacker Michael Kendricks. We'll talk about what that means for Seattle and for KJ Wright to kick off the 8 p.m. hour. But next, we're going to get into four-down territory. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night with Stacey Rost and Jay Keeps. No Curtis. Normally a Curtis. Not right now. <laughs> Live from the Alaska Airline Studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jay Keeps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Can we talk about how I just ended our last segment <laughs> by saying <laughs> Seattle Sports at Night with Stacey Rost? That's it! That's great. What's wrong with that? No one else. No one else. Hey. Also, Jake. Jake's here. It's fine. I'm just a feature. Look, I'm, you, it's your show. I'm just. I'm just a side feature on, I'm, on this. I'm the talent. I'm the brains. That's right. I'm the brawn. If you want to hear stuff from a former quarterback, <laughs> I guess someone that's been playing football his whole life. If that's what you're into. You listen to Jay Keeps. He's here for you if, you, if that's your yeah, thing. If that's, I'm if that, here. That's what you want. That's right. I'm here. But we know what the people really are here for. If you're here for some Bachelor gossip, <laughs> Meghan Markle <laughs> pregnancy updates. That's right. Game of Thrones trivia and Seahawks injury reports. <laughs> I'm your girl. Look no further. 
And then there's Curtis. And then there's Curtis. And then there's Curtis. We don't really know what he's good at. I mean, he's not here to defend himself, so we can say whatever we, we want. We can say whatever he wants. Although, Mariners insider, post-game no show. Deal. I mean, whatever. Knows everything ever about every World Series that's ever happened. Uh, whatever. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but I am gonna I am going to tap into some of that quarterback knowledge. Okay. For four downs. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. All right, here's Four Downs. This is when we ask for football questions. It's the most important time. It's before halftime. We're closing out first hour. We've got Four Downs. Make sense of it all. Today we're making sense of free agency. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's all do right, this. Here we go. Number one. The Chiefs released safety Eric Berry today. How realistic is it he could land in Seattle? Honestly, I would be shocked if Eric Berry lands in Seattle just for the simple fact that uh, I don't think it's because his value in terms of price is going to be too high, uh, but it's more comes down to the fact that he has been so injury-ridden the last few years of his career, uh, and it's really a shame. It, it, it's you know kind of Earl Thomas situation times two. You have an ultra-talented player, without mm-hmm. a doubt, when he is on the field and healthy, there is no question what he brings to a team. But can he be on the field the entire 16-game season and through the playoffs? That is the biggest question. Uh, I, I think the Seahawks have great confidence in Tedrick Thompson, Delano Hill, and Bradley McDougald in their safety position. But if there's one guy that selfishly I would love for them to to take, it would be Eric Berry to try and recapture this 30-year-old guy at a value deal, and maybe he can give us that one to two years of a spark and also that delayed period where we can, one, develop Delano Hill, Tedrick Thompson a little bit more, or they can draft somebody else that can fill that void once Eric Berry leaves. And, you know, you don't want to add fuel to the fire, but... The Seahawks wouldn't be losing a comp pick, would they, if they picked him up? I don't think so. I, again, the compensatory picks, the way those work, often confuse me because me I, I always feel like, oh, okay, we get a compensatory pick for this guy, yeah, and then the no, it doesn't happen. The trick is to happen. say things you you know, you don't know that whether they're true, but just say them really confidently. That's right. The Seahawks actually gain another comp pick. <laughs> Just for being good sports. <laughs> That's right. You could just throw it out there. No one's going to know. Uh, it's it's really the most random thing. I And, again, I don't understand the, all the intricacies of it. But I, I think that uh, for Eric Berry to be on this team would be a big boost and it would be a welcome addition in my mind. Number two. Seahawks tendered most of their restricted free agents and exclusive rights free agents today. That includes tackle slash tight end. George Fant, defensive linemen Quentin Jefferson and Brandon Jackson, long snapper Tyler Ott, guard Jordan Simmons, wide receiver David Moore, and safety Shalom Luani. Of these players, which has been the best move for Seattle? It's honestly a tough question because of these guys, there's not one guy you look at and go, okay, man, yeah, this guy is a key part of this roster that makes a huge difference. The one guy that you could say, uh, is that guy for, for the Seahawks is George Fan? Oh, I was going to say we should say it on three. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. Well, you should have beat me to the punch, I Stacey. know. I knew we'd both have him, but tell me why. Yeah, I, I believe that George brings a ton of value to this team, and, and he obviously uh, made himself a, a pivotal part of this offense and this rushing attack going with a 
offensive lineman at ta- at uh, at the tight end position uh, really added to that that uh, ground game, but also what he brings in versatility, being able to play both left tackle and right tackle if it ever came to that and need be. And what I would like to see from George Fan is to is to go ahead and keep practicing. Uh, and keep training for that right tackle position because I think uh, in the grand scheme of things, at one point George Fant was going to, it looked like through a preseason, that he was going to be a all-pro left tackle. He had the makings of it, the athletic ability, and was finally, it was finally coming together for him in year two and then tore his ACL. And what I would love to see develop is that he is able to swing over, play right tackle, and now you've got two great athletic tackles in Dwayne Brown and George Fant. And and so, again, he's a guy that can play both positions, adds to the current run game right now, and just is an all-around really good guy that you root for. Number three. I'm excited for this one because I love Fired Up Jake. Okay. Are you mad about the trade for Brett Hundley now that he's with the Cardinals? Yeah, you hit a hot topic right here uh, for me. Just so you guys know, Jake's adjusting his headphones, getting set, (laughs) getting a stance. Here's the thing. I am so lost and confused by this trade, and people can come up with counter arguments all they want. I almost did earlier today with someone on Twitter. This one does not make any sense to me. Okay, at this point in time, a year removed from now, you had uh, you had Austin Davis as your backup, who won the job, by the way, fr- uh, from Trevon Boykin, who was the guy you were trying to make as your backup quarterback mm-hmm. for two years, and they really wanted to make that happen. Uh, he was the more athletic guy; they valued that, and and Austin Davis came in with limited reps and showed that hey, I'm a veteran quarterback that knows how to re- operate at a high level in the National Football League if it ever came to that, right? He goes through that season. He is a value to Russell Wilson in that quarterback room uh, and also a good locker room guy. Then now, the second year of Austin Davis, all of a sudden uh, they are trying to fit in. They're trying to uh, replace him with Alex Magoo. Uh, Alex Magoo, although talented, was not ready to make that jump to be a backup quarterback and function at a high level, whereas Austin Davis had more experience in that aspect. Then the Seahawks go and decide that, hey, we're going to upgrade at the position by bringing Brett Hundley. In a trade. In a trade. Fifth-round pick, sixth-round pick, I don't care. You gave up a sixth-round pick for a guy that never saw the field uh, and never was somebody that I valued as a legitimate insurance policy, and that is the argument that I have heard. Oh, well, look, Pete and these guys value the backup position as hey this is an insurance policy and they were trying to find the best guy in that moment you cannot convince me that trading for Brett Hundley and saying that he is a better insurance policy than Austin Davis I I will not go there one Austin Davis was cheaper for you did not cost you any draft picks and has shown that he can be a decent backup quarterback in this league may not win you a ton of games but is a decent backup quarterback in this league. Brett Hundley takes over a Green Bay Packer team for Aaron Rodgers when he went down, a playoff-caliber team, and goes 3-7. and seven. And it wasn't pretty, Stacy. It wasn't like he went 3-7 and seven and was lighting it up Getting and they angrier. barely lost. He was 3-7 and seven and performed, and he was struggling. Struggling. He was. So why on earth is anybody trying to 
argue that this was actually a good move. This guy doesn't resign. He's not with the team. He's not a consistent backup quarterback for your franchise, and you just let him walk. And, by the way, you lose out on a draft pick. I don't get it. He's not happy, y'all. Number four. Of all the non-Seahawks-related free agency moves all of this week, you can count the legal tampering period, Okay. which makes you most fired up for this season? Honestly, uh, before I answer that question, it is amazing to me that the New England Patriots, year in and year out, just consistently sit back, right? let some of their talent that they develop just go. Leave. Let them go, leave, and they get paid top dollar. Uh, last year, uh, or two years ago, it was Nate Soldier, who was a vital part of their team, who was a great left tackle. And then they get Trent Brown and turn him into a all-pro level left tackle, and they just let him go. It's Who amazing. Who goes on to get a huge deal. Amazing that they are able to do that on a consistent basis. It's pretty incredible. But uh, to answer your question, I think the, the trade that probably got me the most fired up, non-Seahawks related, yep. was probably Antonio Brown going to the Raiders. I mean, the way he was able to work that whole situation with the Steelers, go to the Raiders, uh, and, and how that's going to work out with Derek Carr, John Gruden, um, and them eventually moving into Vegas. Uh, to me, it's exciting, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that tandem and that signing is going to pay off for him because, man, it would make the NFL that much more fun. I agree. I'm curious to see Derek Carr with Antonio Brown. Correct. I, I was excited about him, and then he just had, I don't know if it was the back injury, if it was a d- injuries to the offensive line. Right. It just kind of felt Well, and apart. how is he going to handle, you know, that diva personality in Antonio Brown? Because right, right now they're cool. They're and... boys. I actually just saw something on Twitter that, you know, Antonio Brown went over to Derek's car's house and yeah. they hung out for a second talking. Everything's all smiles. But once Antonio Brown feels he's not getting the ball, it's going to be on. And how is Derek Carr going to respond to that? I've seen enough reality TV to tell you that fast friends, you got to watch out for that. <laughs> exactly. Mine, uh, mine also a wide receiver. I'm really excited for Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland. And we're going to get into this to close out or at the end of the show with Big If True. But I'm really excited for the Browns. I, I've said this before yeah. in my life. Um, but they've made some moves. They've made lots of big moves. And yes, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., again, it's one of those things where he, I don't know if he was just getting unhappy with the Giants, if it wasn't working out there. He clearly wasn't pleased with Eli Manning. I mean, right. you always have a unique relationship with your quarterback, but but it wasn't looking good. Yeah, it went a little deeper than just having so. a little bit of, uh, you know, frustration that you're not yep. getting the ball and so to speak. And all those things. And I think for Odell, this is the best thing that could have happened. You're going away from a Giants team that seems to be inept with the direction that they want to go to. Mm-hmm. And you go into an organization with John Dorsey, who clearly is focused on trying to win and win now. And now you're going to one of the new, young, hot, exciting quarterbacks. That, He's a little fiery himself. Yeah, and is going to get you. And they can dance all the time. All right, that is for Down Territory. Coming up next, do the Seahawks have a decision to make it linebacker. It seems like they already made one, signing Michael Kendricks to a reported one-year deal. What does it mean for outside linebacker K.J. Wright? That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.